Okay, so I was gonna say, like, in terms of, like, AKs do have, like, problems, like, in terms of aiming, but, like, I watched this video with this, like, uh, this guy who, like, reviews guns, and he was shooting stuff that was, like, 100 yards away. So, you know, it's it's not that bad. Is it bad. that, uh, that one guy who just does nothing but show off his different guns on the range? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, Hitcock The guy 45. we were talking, we were watching that one time. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, I think Nick found that dude. Yeah, is, yeah, is... yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. Okay, so, uh, let's see, I got intro music for the, uh, news roundup. Here we go, one second. going to shit it's time for another news <laughs> roundup here we go doing doing rounding up the news that's sufficiently redneck enough for florida what the fuck was that we have two we have two southerners here so oh man gotta represent our uh, culture okay now that uh i got that out of my system uh where should we start? Well, uh, honestly, I just can't stop thinking about Bolsonaro and how horrifying this whole situation is. Yeah, I mean, it does really seem like a like a watershed moment where it's it really does. It, the, I really get the feeling that the global capitalist class is really realigning with like this kind of right wing nationalism now. Yeah, it's a messy process. But the point of the fact is, no matter who's running the state, it has to run in the interest of capital. And so the question is, are these right-wing nationalists going to somehow prove that they can run capital better than other factions politically? And so... I think something that we may find is that he, he's taking advantage of a vacuum as the decline in faith of... Uh, Brazilian political institution compounds with especially the perception of the old workers party as as corrupt in its rule Um, and this is consistent with the breakdown of legitimacy for the political class in the West broadly so this might actually end up being a bit like our experience in the United States um, where it signals a right-wing turn where possible in the administration of the state but the legislative gridlock holds the sort of general inability of the bourgeoisie to advance as many grand civilizational uh, projects. These kind of policy changes ultimately require legislation. And I think, um, you know, that if he uses the military as a base, perhaps he can break through some of the forces gumming up uh, politics in the west but yeah he's but he's looking right now at i just want to remind you he's looking at uh, a coalition between something like 30 political parties and that's supposed to make legislation that that's all going to you know i i don't know that that's all going to swing far right i've been like reading stuff about like specifically the military has been like for the past two days breaking into like universities and telling them not to teach certain things and tearing down posters that they didn't find particularly patriotic and other things of that nature so if it i, goes I don't that know direction, then all bets are off on what i was just saying well, this but... is yeah. carl... think about carl schmidt and the whole concept of decisionism 
which is that what determines in the legislator and in the rule of law really doesn't determine what the state does because ultimately these laws and these constitutional norms are just tools for different decision makers in the state in order to implement their agenda. And so I think that thinking that the legislature is going to act as a as a balance on the right-wing capacities of the state is I just think it's not very realist politically. Not yeah. a balance exactly. I, I wouldn't call it a balance. I think that there's there's a general incapacity of the the state to advance some of its interests. I mean, in the in the sense that they're not able to rule. I mean, look at the Republican Party in the United States. I think mm. one of the reasons Trump has let has gotten has had this fragile alliance with the Republican Party maintained is that he's cramming Republicans into the judiciary, which they need to do because they need to kind of keep their integration into the state and in, in some kind of way as as there's just no ability to pass legislation. And and you do need legislation to to build the wall and to do things of that nature. And well, I think that if you look at the Republican Party's biggest ideological project of the past, like eight years, you know, the health care repeal that fell apart. The, Grant, the- Grant, why are we talking about the Republican Party? The major thing, major locus of disagreement I have with you here is that this right nationalism in power in Brazil is quite different. I'm saying if there isn't a military different. coup, which is which is it quite doesn't possible. have to be a military coup because of the kind of de facto executive power that already exists in the Brazilian government and the way that they've been using it, the norms of the state. You don't have to be a you know like a PT like partisan whatever to, like, to, to feel this way. Like you're conflating a unitary parliamentary system with a federal system like the united states has you can't really compare the two because one is actually specifically designed to work in an incredibly slow way which is the united states one and the other is like designed to like work more efficiently parliamentary i think it's fair i really i really i see where you're coming from but i think it's fair to say that the general political gridlock and corruption in Brazil may not turn if at his will. Well, no, I mean, it's 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 endemic within the state. And that's the point. That's the other thing here, too, is that, you know, this anti it's anti-corruption drive was used extremely op- opportunistic uh, was used extremely opportunistically against, you know, slight left of global IMF consensus, you know, decision making. So. You know, they and basically, it's my understanding that that because kind of like the moderate conservative party basically screwed the pooch. You know, this guy basically had the vacuum to fill in there politically, and people decided to roll the dice on that. Well, I think, I guess I'm just kind of lay out my whole analysis of kind of what Bolsonaro is about, because it seems like a lot of the right wing populism that we've <coughs> seen in Europe, for example, has been. It's had almost like leftist aspect to it economically. I hate to phrase it that way, but you know it has a left. There's like an economic nationalism to it. It's Keynes, it's like, yeah, it's Keynesian yeah, like corporatism. Yeah, it's, it's Keynesian corporatism mixed with you know conservative social values. It, it's it's and, a mistake to call those left wing economics because then we are ceding a lot of our ground. 
because it is based on a fundamentally different yeah, I analysis mean, it depends. of capitalism. I mean, well, yeah, right, I mean, it, right. it depends if you think that we want to actually be part of the left, which I think we do. But you also have to accept that there's shitty parts of the left. But that's a whole other discussion. What I'm trying to say is <laughs> Bolsonaro is pushing a very neoliberal agenda. His whole policy is very much in line with the con- – because basically what's happened is that the bourgeois turned to the, the, the Social Democratic Workers Party, the PT, to basically manage the class struggle. But eventually, the bureaucracy that's developed out of this has become a barrier to the accumulation of capital. And so, therefore, a figure like Bolsonaro becomes appealing as a way to kind of wipe out the, the you know, the sort of social democratic labor bureaucracy. And, you know, it, it, he's basically, I think he's kind of in line with Pinochet in that way. I just think that the... the you know, it's not obviously as extreme. Well, it's, yeah, it's not it, a radical left government, really. It's, it's an interesting radical. pill to swallow for reformism that these kind of bare bones social democratic states can't even be tolerated by the general bourgeoisie. Well, that's what I'm saying about like a right wing, like a global right wing turn. You know, like this is happening everywhere because it's being backed by the global capital. And the other plan. thing I wanted to add on just a general crisis is that uh that uh bolsonaro he's kind of like trump in the sense that he's a chauvinist and a nationalist but the thing is trump kind of campaigned on this economic nationalist platform whereas bolsonaro literally comes from the social liberal party he's he's basically pushing hardcore neoliberal economics but he's able to have this huge middle class base and I think you have a situation similar in, to America where basically the state deliberately created this huge middle class almost and basically is able to use that as a base for reaction. Well, he basically farmed out his entire economic agenda to some like Chicago stool jag off, right? Like that's like it, yeah, it literally like is like a, yeah, like a neoliberal. Yeah. And the thing is, is that the PT basically dug their own grave in this case that basically they created this whole administration dedicated to taming capitalism that became super corrupt because they refused to actually take down capitalism you know as they say those who make revolutions halfway dig their own graves and by taking the reformist social democratic route they basically set the ground for the right wing turn, the you know what Mike McNair calls a ratchet to the right. That's why you have kind of these cycles of left and right governments. And I think well, I, there was actually a, an article in Jacobin that had a good quote about it. It said that one of the big flaws of the PT was that they kind of only focused on bread and butter economic issues, and they didn't focus at all on issues of social liberation and you know fighting against racism and gender repression they kind of took the right-wing social democratic line that we just need to focus on these bread and butter butter issues like medicare and wages and then you know that will unite people and take care of the rest of the problems and the thing is is that they didn't educate their actual members on this stuff and so that's why they were so quick to buy into the right-wing demagogy when the workers party wasn't able to actually deliver on you know that's relevant because that's that's basically 
Like, it sounds like they were basically justice Democrats, or like what the justice Democrats want to turn the Democrats into. You know, this is the Bernie trap. This is the DSA trap. You know, there's yeah, a I whole mean, tendency much. in the DSA of trying to, you know, you see this a lot with, God, I'm going to talk some shit here, but you see this with um, Dead Pundit Society. You see this with, uh, you know, a lot of the comedy podcasts of DSA, but there is this kind of weird tendency of basically reacting to this resentment towards social justice warriors and the culturalist left is kind of leading to an embracing of social conservatism in the left and saying basically it's completely okay to have conservative gender views as long as you believe in like health care for everyone and this is you know this is a very dangerous mindset and I can see how this would help pave the way for fascism. It almost makes me want to, like, go full third period. Yeah, social well, fascism. We do people where they're at on their, on their views when we're educating, but the idea of tolerance for prejudice is, is just too far. There's, there's, um... Well, it depends on what pod- you mean by tolerance. There's a podcast in particular I could think of that's sort of leftist, apparently, you know doesn't even really consider itself feminist and promotes, you know, patriarchal views basically because she likes it. <laughs> like, well, yeah, can I just say though, to, to dial back for a moment, actually, no. straight, straight. We're talking about red scare. Yeah. 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 We can name names. Uh, I yeah. thought it was Mark Maron. My bad. Yeah. Just to, <laughs> to step back though. I think that something uh, Donald was getting at was with DSA ification as a phenomenon was or i think jake might have coined that the dsa trap i don't know Love but it. i said the bernie the point trap is, i feel like the left's current plan is basically syriza again like what if yeah. we do that another time yeah and there's literally a theorist ed rooksby who has a very long theoretically elaborate argument about why syriza basically had it right they just didn't do it right well bernie literally had like this joint statement he put out with like the sort of economist dude from syriza whose name i can't pronounce Giannis Varoufakis. so they literally had they literally had a thing where they had this pl- i mean honestly like some of what they were saying was sadly more progressive than what you see like on you know the, the far democratic left today but you know it's still it's it is yeah you're basically in syriza country yeah i mean the argument that I've heard is that leftists need to work in these formations to try and radicalize them, but I think that it's kind of a lost cause in a lot of ways. I just think that we need to build our own party and the party that we want and not try to like slightly move the party we don't like in a way that will make us like it more. I mean, it's even absent that, I think, is. honestly, just, like, staking out a further left position and communicating that idea to lots of people will, you know, I, I think as events go forward, you know, our position looks better, you know, when you look at what's happening overall. Like, the communist line, I think, stands stronger because it points to the actual contradictions of capitalism. And as those contra- contradictions become more heightened and more apparent to people, you know, it, we they will see that, you know, They'll be they'll more quickly, I think, come around to this perspective. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You, you, know, you have to have a bit of of faith in in proles to think that 
this is kind of going to go anywhere and that that reinterest in socialism will crop up not by kind of leftist jehovah's witnessing but you know when it when it does occur, occur by you know worker activity uh that that's interest in socialism will come back well i think it is coming back to an extent but yeah. so is fascism so right that's the problem is that you know people are there's a spontaneous reaction against the alienation and oppression of capitalism there's no guarantee that it's going to be for something progressive that's trying you know, i don't know is socialism or fascism really a, a conversation happening in the working class right now Okay, maybe it's Probably not happening not. On, at the on the at the kitchen table. How do you define working class, though? Yeah, I mean, I think it is like you could you could de- you could actually sort of define these sort of yeah. D class like college kids as working class if you really wanted to. Well, I think the point of singling out like D class A intellectuals, like the kind of people that Marxists and other political actors usually are, um, is to say that's not really who we're talking about here. <laughs> like that's not like the revolutionary subject of history or something you have to take an all of social view instead of just focusing on the internals of the left here well if we're going to talk about the working class like their only representatives are the labor unions and they have been more politicized lately yeah but, but like that labor unions and the working class in the united states you really don't like, have like, like representation actually, there no 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 they're going to be working fast food jobs and service jobs like what actually separates these sort of d-class college students that are kind of getting in the dsa from the working class at this point well it's it's not a problem i don't think they're all working service labor well well i I see roses not all of them i see roses not all of them but there's a good chunk of them that are we don't want to be stopped i don't want to like they have a petty bourgeois class background so that you know they can't be working class it's not my point my point is is that those people don't need help having political viewpoints and just by talking out loud to ourselves we're talking to them you know, like it's I'm well, and the thing is, like, where does it start? You know what I mean? Like the socialists, I mean, still a lot of people, you know, their understanding of the events of the day are mediated through like big media firms. You know what I mean? And socialism will only appear there occasionally as like a specter to scare people or or to go, what's up with the kids these days? And there's this socialism business. And then don't they know that there was a thing called Soviet Russia and a famine? Don't they know about you know, the whole of the more? That's, that's that's how or. You get like the Fox News people where it's like, you know, Barack Obama is actually a trans man and or he was a gay man (laughs) and his wife was a trans woman. And they're coming. They're bringing socialism and Sharia law to your town. You know, like that's like that's that's where it appears in the media. So I do think for I think most ordinary people are thinking of socialism, if only as a thing that's like this boogeyman that's coming out of college campuses or latin america or god knows where speaking of latin america weren't we talking about latin america yeah we we were actually talking about bolson i mean but we're, we're we're let's face it we're all narcissistic americans here we don't know anything about these other countries everything is really no, all about I mean, us do people think that i'm basically correct that this is sort of a capitalist reaction against uh organized labor and decay to try to establish like a basically a neoliberal type economy it definitely fits in with like kind of standard latin american um you have democracy until you don't and uh we really need you to implement the implement these uh, politics because uh they'll develop you somehow yeah Yeah. and i I think that's is that that the 
classes that unified on it, but I can see it being one potential solution to their problems. I mean, it's not going to be a solution. It's just going to be tons of dead people and a lot of employed people and finally the financiers making money, but the population is going to fucking suffer. It'll be a complete gutting of what exists. What do you think I was saying? It seems like you're... I don't know. I, I, I guess, like, to draw out this contradiction a little more, in Brazil, there's, you know... Like especially in in Rio and bigger cities, like there's already a pretty sizable population of kids that just live on the street, you know, homeless, like like a lot, a lot of them. And police action towards them is pretty brutal. It's it's one of the most inhumane things you can imagine. So, if you have in a in a state that needs no help, being that brutal, you know, and you have a <laughs> you know, right-wing strongman that has a base, it seems, in the military. And again, Jake's right. Ultimately, narcissist. I'm really thinking about my new dress, but I'm trying really hard to look outside of my room. Very difficult. Um, But I would imagine that this would amp up the body count of... of, or, Or this would amp up probably, maybe considerably, what people in, you know, executive, military, whatever positions, feel it's okay to do to surplus populations. Right. People people get think they're getting this okay, and there's, like I said before, a, a right-wing turn is, isn't always possible in a total sense, but in the administration of the state. Yeah, and, and th- that, that the stakes are higher for Brazil. Uh, strangely, I don't know, like, this sounds a little hyperbolic and weird because the United States, world historically powerful right now. Cool. But I just mean for the people within it. Brazil like, is a major capitalist country and plays a big role in the capitalist world system. No, no, the, oh, yeah. no, this is quite true. This is quite true. But my point is that this is going to have more of a domestic effect than I think Trump is going to have a domestic effect in the United States. Well, the international effect is going to be mad profits for finance capital. Right, right. And that's all that Trump can think about. But the point is, is that domestically, yes, this is going to be terrible for the Brazilian left, terrible for the Brazilian working class, terrible for all people, all oppressed people in Brazil. And I think Donald Trump has been terrible, but this is going to be even worse than Donald Trump, I think, because yeah, no. there is Donald tradition Trump doesn't of military... have right wing death squads ready. Yeah, there's already a tradition of right wing violence that's embedded into this culture in the military. And so many of the people who are in running the military staff right now probably were, you know, rank and file military death squad people back in the day. It's it's very it's a very t- terrifying situation basically these sort of like militaries in south america all they exist for is like overthrowing the government whenever it goes like slightly left they don't really do much else yeah they just kind of sit there and like you know basically just wait it out and wait and see because sometimes they don't want to take power because it's such a shit show they're like we're not getting blamed for this yeah but i think that basically the right wants to basically come into power and kind of do a shock therapy treatment of Brazil, and it's going to make a bunch of money and create, you know, this idea that they're growing the economy when really they're just destroying massive amounts of value. Good times. Good times. Bad times. These are bad times. Should we talk about the migrant caravan? 
Yes. Arm the caravan. Let's do it. And so they're all coming. They're most of yeah. they. It started out in Honduras, and I I love Honduras because that's like, that's that country where it's like, man, like they allowed their country to be used as a as a tool for international capitalist accumulation, but somehow they're always broke. How does that happen? Uh, yeah, maybe happen? it's, it's uh, it, maybe it's almost I mean, like imperialism imposes uh, policies on these countries that are not beneficial to their own growth, but help benefit the growth of the global bourgeoisie. Anyway, yeah, Honduras got fucked by Hillary Clinton, and, I mean, the whole Obama administration, basically. What what was that? Like, I I tried to read about it, but I didn't... There's not a lot of information, because I think that there's generally radio silence about this issue, because no one wants to actually talk about it. But so what what happened specifically? Like, uh, there was a, a democratically elected government that was couped. Yeah, and Hillary Clinton gave back into the coup, or her secretary, as Secretary of State, you know, U.S. gave back into the coup. I thought it was. I thought we they disavowed the coup, but eventually ended up working with the government anyway. Because like yeah. everyone, everyone could. They the, like the legitimated coup. the coup. I think is is something. I've read conflicting st- like statements on this. It's re- I don't know. Well, the thing is, is basically U.S. imperialism requires very low labor prices in the third world, as you know, in order to in- open up new markets that have investment that are cheap in labor but don't require big fixed capital investments. And so, basically, they want to keep an authoritarian or oppressive government that's really harsh against the labor and basically atomizes the society as much as possible prevent labor organizing in these countries because they want that cheap labor to be a, a, you know, a source of soaking up profits to counteract the falling rate of profit. Right. Uh, well, it's been going along there uh, on there for a long time. I think it's funny that just like adopting all of these, you know, you know, sort of policies somehow after a hundred years, it never translated to the uh, capitalist paradise that some people argue that it'll take them to, but yeah. So basically, well, it never the, the does. Mi- it never migra- has. Yeah, the migrant caravan has become like this thing that basically Trump is using to scare uh, w- suburban white people. Um, I think and Fox News is basically. I haven't watched Fox News, but from what I understand, they basically been playing footage of this thing like twenty four seven for at least a news cycle or two. Okay. Um, I found some information on the Hillary Clinton connection thing. Okay. Honduras, like the U.S. has been giving like security backing to like the Honduras regime that just got established with the coup, and like right. has recognized. Yeah, so we're basically kind of pulling uh, what we did to Guatemala in like the fifties. Right. So yeah, my understanding was I guess they disavowed it, but still went along with it anyway, essentially, which is you know a very like you know Hillary Obama thing to do, you know. Yeah, like, thing is, it's like, the difference is Trump would have, like, fully, like, supported it and, like, right. glamorized it and, like, yeah, I don't know what, it's, but anyway, so this migrant caravan, like, yeah, like, it's, it's like the, it's like, what do they call it, the knockout game, it's like this thing that, like, freaks out petty bourgeois whites that really has no rational reason to be afraid of it, but the right totally uses it to create this moral panic. I brought this up with like a listener, like, oh man, isn't this cool? Like the migrant caravan, wow. And they were kind of like, man, I'm scared about this. I have like, you know, I, 
like they have like you know Latin American family and they're like yeah like we're kind of like worried that this is gonna create more like uh, resentment and maybe like yeah I mean that's the centrist, be the starting gun on reaction that's the centrist us. Democrat line that's why the Democrats aren't talking about it because they're worried that if they give it support and if they say because these people are simply seeking asylum. They're basically coming to the border and seeking asylum. So the idea yeah, they're that here they're to, like, secretly, overthrow the government. Yeah, the idea that they're secretly like drug dealers and shit, or it's it's nonsense. Because why would they legally seek asylum? It's literally legal immigration. But the way the right wing media is able to play it up, and but but it shows that the right wing isn't just against illegal immigration. They are against legal immigration. And that's how far right the discourse on immigration is going in this country. And I think that if we want to unify the working class and have real internationalism, we have to take the correct line on this issue. And Yeah, well, we'd be rewarded for it, I think, because if you really look at the stats on opinion polling and immigration, yes. people are not quite as reactionary yes, as you exactly. imagine it's a, it's when you look at the discourse. It's not a silent majority. It's really not a silent majority. It's a fucking vocal minority. The political discourse is completely disconnected from social opinion on this. Yeah, and on many issues. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that, at least. that Basically, like, the way immigration has been turned into political football has little actual to do with Americans' views on immigration. The experience of immigration, of people working in different places around the world, is really what sh is is really what kind of formed the internationalist workers movement of the, the early 20th century was the fact that you had all these workers for example coming from a say rural town in italy where the only socialists were petty bourgeois artisans and then going to america and coming into contact with the iww and then moving back to italy to go back with their family and then like suddenly deciding that they want to get involved in these uh, socialist organizations and that's just one example you know there's all kinds of examples of how mass immigration and that's what and that's what's interesting about this uh caravan is that you know it's called the, what is it workers without borders or something like that it's very kind of almost classical marxist sounding which is you know it's 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 a form of class struggle against the the way that borders and national borders are a way to impose the freedom of movement of labor. So, so yeah, the migrant caravan is pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, immigration is the most relevant, like, class struggle issue, and there, like, there is today probably the one that's in the forefront that, like, a lot of you know. Where there is a rise in like right-wing populism, it's because they're pushing this button and taking advantage of the way, you know, uh, like, I, I actually don't know what the stats are in Europe, but if there are anything like the United States, which I imagine they might be, that they're out of step with the general population and taking advantage of political apathy to beat down on the most disenfranchised. And this is where class struggle starts for us. This is where you know politics Political really starts class struggle too it's not just like sectional you know economistic demands of workers in a certain industry it's it's literally a movement of the class against the state even if it's not you know marxist and communist explicitly it is you know a form of political class struggle in the same way the eight hour day movement was almost so you think i know there, i know like class presence of militarized the border but 
I know some people were afraid that because Trump sent like 800 some soldiers or whatever to the border to protect against this caravan or whatever. Like, do you think do you think we're gonna see like some kind of like Palestine shit where people like walk towards the fence or something and get murked? Oh God. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. I hope not. It's horrifying to think that that might happen. I, I think that's but a possibility. My, my hope is that Trump won't do it because he's already governing at such a low level of legitimacy that this might just be what puts it over the edge. Yeah, that, that would that would be it for me at least. Like I've been sitting out the whole quote resistance thing because I think it's a crock. But if if that you know <laughs> if that's what he was doing, you know what I mean? Like wouldn't no? Wouldn't... If, if it actually came down to fighting against immigrants being spawned, that shit's not the resistance. That's like that's yeah. That's a, that's a that's yeah. That's real shit. I I don't think that's gonna happen, but it, it the possibility has crossed my mind. Yeah, I sincerely hope not. And I think that would lead to actual social mobilization, and I don't think that Trump will do it because it's yeah, it's so. But then again, how how much control do you have over these people in a situation? Yeah, I mean, the, a lot of them are actually just applying for asylum in Mexico anyway. So it'll by the time by the time they get to the actual border, like they'll probably be fairly not very many of them left, and. It'll be past the election cycle, and Trump will forgot this ever happened because he's has Alzheimer's or some kind of shit like that. Um, uh, so speaking of shooting people, uh-huh. uh, yeah, like that's a nice segue. Way to go. Yeah. Uh, the, so the the far right's been getting up to some shit in this country, man. Uh, you got uh-huh. you got the Proud Boys beating some people in New York. Uh-huh. You got uh, the dude sending those the do the Van living, uh, right wing bomber guy who sent a bunch of duds to a bunch of Mega bombers. The, there was the, there was the whole thing in the synagogue, which even Trump couldn't really like wink at. Like, yeah, it was fucked up. It it's been it's been uh, it's been a fucked up series of things, and it's one thing that kind of I know it shouldn't blow my mind, but I love the people who are like, damn it, this it's supposed right now it's supposed to be about the caravan. You're spoiling this for us, you know, and th- saying how like this stuff is like a like a left wing conspiracy to turn the election yeah, in their favor. Like, yeah. yeah, crisis actor. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of there is something kind of unnerving like seeing like a whole section of people just immediate like literally something happens like and immediately it's truth arises and immediately people are like. Uh no, that's this is George Soros is behind this. You know what I mean? Yeah, that shit didn't happen. Yeah, I feel like yeah. the whole center political spectrum has gone full into info wars lately, yeah. like from the resistance to the right. I mean, yeah. that's been the case ever since Russia Gate, really. Yeah, Ru- Russia really let the uh, the crank out of the bag there. I mean, that was you know what? That's when I it felt okay for me as an adult to be a communist. Really? No, I'm serious. Like it was when yeah. I, I saw the smart liberals like Rachel Maddow break out the chalkboard, you know, and start yeah. c- connect th- connecting the dots. So chalkboard or is the bulletin board, whatever. And they doing the full Charlie Day like circle meme, you know, like like that that gave me dignity as a as a communist. You don't gotta worry to, to about being that. an adult communist, Lexi. If you're an adult anarchist. That's the problem. In the last couple of years, they've been really, like, sadly vindicating for us, I think, overall. Just the, how bad things are turning and how, you know, the 
predictions on global warming are coming in worse than predicted, pr- worse than predicted, and capitalism is reloading for another crash, and Trump is like all of this is like it is like a we're living in a bad caricature of the way that like maybe Marxists might have imagined the Bush administration. You know what I mean? Like it's it's everything is so completely insane. We're like, you know what? God, maybe we actually are. Maybe I'm actually right about capitalism. Maybe it isn't just me. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe this, maybe we're actually yeah, right, we're, which is terror, which is fucking we're, terrifying. We're right about all the bad parts, but we're not having the proletarian movement to actually stop it. And that's because we have no vision other than the bad parts, and that's why the right does have a vision, which is economic nationalism, and is winning. And as long as we don't develop some kind of vision that people can identify with, then. You know, communists are going to remain irrelevant because we'll just be seen as contrarians sneering at, you know, the problems of the current order, but never actually offering an alternative beyond, you know, going to liberal protest and being more militant. Like, and that's and that's why so many Leninist groups today have fallen to like this militant liberal activist subculture. And I think that really we need to start developing policy papers and developing visions of communism that kind of show yes this is something that we can actually accomplish i don't know this is my inner cream no, no I, I hear you <laughs> like, you're, you're not wrong about vision but i think it would be too much to say that that's why we don't see it like there's a common cause between the lack of vision and the the you know what's holding back the workers movement and you know it's like a, a deeper problem how to create how to recreate a sort of politics of universal interest when there are so many microsections and and well i think it's important to realize that the workers movement faced a political defeat it wasn't just the development of capitalism into real subsumption that destroyed the labor movement i think that there was okay a i real agree political all defeat. of us walked into le- leftist politics probably thinking that oh, i guess it was neoliberalism as a political defeat so i totally agree with you but it's absolutely boilerplate to me you know, like I, I, I hear you. I'm not a hard left cop. I'm not a total economic determinist. But like the reason that they were vulnerable to this defeat was because their their capitalist state policy management stopped working. Oh yeah, I totally agree there. I mean, the idea that you know neoliberalism is the market as opposed to the state is just absurd because it's the state further enforcing the rule of the market. And I guess this, you know, it kind of goes back to Bolsonaro, but really what I see is, it's I see a more authoritarian globally with this far right kind of resurgence, whatever you want to call it. What I really see is the bourgeois state kind of using these public, you know, displays of, you know, the far right as a way to legitimize its own authoritarian tendencies. Because the bourgeoisie is basically i think there is a tendency now for capitalist states to become increasingly authoritarian that we're seeing one thing i, I guess question i have is like why like we were it seemed like after charlottesville there was a bit of a lull but now that like a lot of like the right wing like the far right street violence is starting to pick up and it's interesting like the form it takes particularly with like this dude who was living in a van and you know like you see people like this around you know what i mean like, you see people who are basically, like, Fox News addled, like, homeless people, which is, like, a weirdly American phenomenon <laughs> where they they get invested in, like, these 
meet right wing media narratives as a way to I don't even know it was just entertainment for one thing but they began to sort of take it seriously you know yeah I mean? I mean this guy was just like but we were talking about the MAGA bomber right yeah yeah I mean I think this guy was basically just like a MAGA chud with who just went off the deep end and decided because I like I know like I remember MAGA people talking about like that I knew how they were gonna go to DC to investigate Comet Pizza and stuff like that <laughs> like <laughs> So, like, it's it's just, this is a very common breed American, is the MAGA chud, and they're often very, you know, unstable and prone to this kind of insanity. Yeah. The guy pretended to be a part, pretended to be a Native American, even though he was, like, Filipino and white. Wow. Um, wow. Transracial. Right, yeah. yeah, so this is some kind of right-wing, <laughs> right-wing like... Rachel Dolezal thing is that what's happening here? Yeah, like yeah, is the so... world can the world be any more of a simulation? Like, isn't it true that he had like some kind of replica of an ISIS flag that incorporated "Get Her Done" or something like this? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, that, yeah was that, that was the bomb. Yeah, could that this yeah, that's, could could this that's be pretty, any more of a of a? And he yeah. was a gay stripper in the nineties. Not and he, and he was somehow he was a small business guy who was homeless or occasionally lived with his mother. <sighs> Like this guy really is a product of our time. This guy's America. Yeah, like this guy, this guy is the world spirit in a van yeah. down by the river. Like the... no. Now let's get started by letting me give you a little bit of a scenario of what my life is all about. First off, I am 35 years old. I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. <laughs> Now, you kids are probably saying to yourselves, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the world by the tail and wrap it around and pull it down and put it in my pocket. Well, I'm here to tell you that you're probably going to find out as you go out there that you're not going to amount to jack squat. You're gonna end up eating a steady diet of government cheese and living in a van down by the river. Uh, no, I know, you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. This isn't America, like, but this is like this is America is defined by outsiders. Right. This this guy is a one human indictment of what our our you know. I I well, I don't I don't happens. know. He's pretty relatable, honestly. Like he's been driven mad by like. 24-hour news cycles. Well, yes. That's pretty much... Anti-social alienation. And then there's the way that... The way that news cycles talk about the current political, like, breakdown is as a crisis that is, like, gonna be violence in the street and civil war tomorrow. And it really stokes people up as if there's, like... This is on the left and the right. You know, this you'll see this on MSNBC. You'll see this on Fox. no, no, no. My my own dad is basically like like the boomer got boomer bomber guy. Only he's MSNBC, constant like progressive talk radio, constant. I mean, MSNBC. I know I know the alt right is always calling for like race war, and I think you know these re- wars. And we'll talk about the synagogue attacks more, but I think that was kind of a an attempt to incite race war. But I think that you know the left. I think has handled this better than I think you're giving them credit for. Like, 
for the most part, the left hasn't. They have been avoiding the word militia. They have been, like, arming up and learning how to defend themselves, and I think that's a positive development. And I don't really see a lot of civil war rhetoric in the left, because I think the left realizes that they're going to lose if that happens. I mean MSNBC. I'm talking about, like, boomer people who think that the the war is coming between yeah. like from trump people yeah that's it's like well i that's, being that's the real political polarization in our country is boomer democrats boomer republicans like kind of rich kind of white yeah exactly like i like it's well it's 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 basically a culture war between right wing boomers and left wing boomers yeah I mean, I, I think everyone's getting driven a little mad by, like, social media stuff, honestly. Yeah, I like... also think that this this whole thing is a sign of the right's inability to gain traction in a, in a way that creates any kind of mass mobilizations. Like, I think a lot of political actors right now are very frustrated with the inability to gain traction in society, and it's just kind of like, well stop gumming up history everybody like let's do a bombing and some propaganda the deed and like we're gonna go out there and inspire everybody to just do it i mean that's definitely i think there there, it's a state of defeat that just like goes overboard Uh, i mean i don't even know if it's really political honestly like at times it is but like you have like people like elliot rogers who's not really motivated by like politics per se but just contempt towards women or or just like general social alienation like it's it's something that's becoming more and more like prevalent in our society and And it's it's usually a little less coherent than i'm framing it i suppose well i think this culture war that we're seeing is basically kind of just a politics of resentment it's two groups building up resentment for each other it's you know these you know, Trump MAGA people or whatever who see this big, they have, there's this big moral panic about political correctness trampling on their freedoms, frame this very American nationalist narrative. Then you have these elite liberals who wants to, you know, maintain the status quo while appearing to be enlightened. And so there's a kind of a culture war between these two sides. And the problem is, is that people kind of veer in either direction a lot of times should we talk about the trans memo yeah let's talk about that has somebody has anybody has anybody read it all i know is that it's just horrible for you know the existence of a you know group of people to be political football so 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 the idea is that like biological sex is going to be determined by you know birth certificate you know like like it would be legally defined as such like this strikes me as something that's probably not going to go very far that's the first thing i'm going to say about it if trump is serious and pushes this forward he's going to face a number of oppositional checks within the system but also he this is going to shore up politics but probably unevenly because when you look at the breakdowns like yes this plays to a certain red meat of his electoral base and that's why he's doing it at the end of the day i think 
Um, and so he plays football with a lot of these issues. So Yeah, it's all about, like, he's been doing the same thing with this kind of, like, semi, like, you know, pro-white rhetoric. Right, right. Well. But this, this, I think, is a bit... This is something that society has kind of gotten with pretty... I don't want to say quickly. That's well, that's the thing. Like, social but, liberalization over decades, I would say. Right, right. But, like, in, in our lifetimes there's been significant change and, and pause for, for the better here. Like in, in a way that I could have never imagined when I was young. But this kind of proves my thesis that like this kind of alt-right base that Trump is trying to appeal to is fueled by revankism against the progress is made by minorities in the past like 50 years or so. Yeah. When you look up like the statistics for, you know, if, you know, people that think that trans protections now are sufficient people that think it needs to go further and people think that it that it's too much um i forget exactly how it breaks down but it breaks down basically i think by thirds and so if you look at it you know the glass half full version is um you know two-thirds of people don't want to take away trans protections and so that this would be an, an unpopular thing to do in an election season and because i think that's the spectacular logic by which Trump is really operating, that I, I, that's, <laughs> that's where I, I find reassurance. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I want to expand on that a bit too, um, because I've, I've disliked where I see the, um, I've seen some comparisons to the Holocaust made. I, I, I think that, well, you know, I mean, it's bad taste. Uh, that is so hyperbolic and exploitive. The left is is to the Holocaust can treat things like the end times instead of really looking for what it says about the situation. So, so this memo, like you're saying, is really detached from where majority views are, um, and and where majority views are moving on gender, but not without resistance. I don't think we should downplay that. Um, oh yeah, like a third of people feel like there's there's you know too much progress and they need to roll it back. I mean, that that I think would be that statement, I think, draws a lot out of that statistic because it could be kind of the way things are phrased in too many protections or something like that. But I, I mean, I suppose that's not that ambiguous. It, it's and gone I, too far, Grant. Point this, is, this is an example. Grant, this has gone too far. Yeah. And then there's like a group of people that like think that it's like gone, that it's like just right where it is. Right, there is there is that group of people. Those people really exist. That's and that's enough for me. Thanks. I mean, for you. Well, to move on, I I just did want to say though that his his whole pitch is or was I'm not going to be bought by special interests. I have enough money, and a lot of people responded to that messaging. And this is Trump, where he's he's you know. Instead of Trump where people like it, he's making political class people panic, etc. This is his administration totally subservient to your kind of heritage foundation type donor interests. And his... That's not how um, his base sees it, though. They see it as him going against the dominant cultural narrative of feminism and trans rights and cultural Marxist like hegemony. I don't know if that. I mean, that's how the alt right is going to see it. I don't know. But that's that... how the mainstream right sees it now too, though. They might use their term "cultural Marxism," but they yeah, do but... see it as like a socialist conspiracy or shit. You know, some shit like that. 
Yeah, the mainstream right is very transphobic. You, you could hear that on Fox News, I suppose. Yeah, the mainstream right is, is transphobic. Yeah, like that's really the big issue they stand on now. They're even fine with gays. Well, immigrants. They, they don't. Well, a lot immigrants of them don't like immigrants. Too, but it, it's really the right to like really like they, they make a stand on that issue. Big time. It would be like Ben Shapiro. He's your old vanilla like mainstream conservative, and he makes a big like profile out of himself about transphobia. Same with Jordan Peterson. Like that's how he got yeah. famous. Right. Like this issue uh, yeah. like, bothers people at a cultural level because it undermines this naturalized idea of a gender binary that has to exist in order for civilizations to function. It undermines people's reified conceptions of how society has to be. And so therefore it, it brings out like a lot of the worst reactionary tendencies. And it takes on the form of a moral panic as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, like, trans bathroom bill, for example, it's totally a moral panic. Or the and, or, or trans uh, children being like, the government is giving the children pills to make them trans. You know, like... Yeah, this moral panics all abound about this issue. And that's really how the right has historically operated, as far as I can remember. Because it just seems... Like, even, like, in the 80s, you had, like, the whole satanic panic. We need to get close to God and keep our children safe by bringing them to church. And Yeah, but that stuff's dried uh, up. And, and a lot of the religious right justification yeah, for that stuff up. has dried up. But the fundamental drive but is still the, there. Moral panics still exist. And that's why the right can take these kind of issues and inflate them into these big culture war. Well, yeah, well, they try and basically amp up something where they're, like... They'll find like the most extreme case of something and be like, "This is the plan that they have for America, right?" <laughs> you know, the, this is your like... son on our communism. <laughs> well, this is what I don't understand is because all Americans basically like will agree we believe in personal freedom. Yet for some reason, that value completely goes out the mm-hmm. window when it comes to trans people. Oh, but that's this my is favorite just an issue. This is it's an issue of personal freedom. Yeah. That's all it is. It's it's fucking sexual freedom, basically. It's the freedom to be who you want to be. And every American says you should have the freedom to be who you want to be. But when it undermines the patriarchal, like, yeah. you know, basis of society, it makes them uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Um, Everybody loves technology. Everybody loves, you know, overturning old, you know, things that don't work anymore. Old, outmoded things. Everybody loves, you know... <laughs> Everybody loves all kinds of personal freedoms and self-definition and, you know, embracing your body and this kind of stuff. But they really don't like it when you do it too much. (laughs) It's something that, you know, because so much of, like, you know, cultural narratives that are told are, you know, there's so much, like, reinforcing this idea of this gender binary. And it's so, like, deeply embedded into the culture. Like, even, you know, going back, you know before the foundation of the United States, you know what I mean? And, like, getting people to wrap their head around, you know, what it, what gender, like, actually means. You know, a lot of that stuff operates at a level of abstraction that most people aren't used to, like, dealing with, you know what I mean? So it's it's kind of a, it's kind of impressive that things have come... I think, honestly, a lot of it comes on the heels of the gay movement, and nobody wants to be seen, you know, as, you know, losing... They don't want to lose on that front, too, so the... You know, you get a lot more people basically hopping on well, board, I think, even if I they think, maybe don't fully understand it. You know what I mean? I think the, the progress comes from socialization. It comes from people just being around trans people and realizing that it's not a fucking big deal. 
Yeah, and, that, I mean, obviously that too. And the the yeah. internet has allowed people, you know, to basically uh, trans people to sort of create spaces where they could talk about their experiences and you know, um, sort of figure, kind of collectively sort of figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's been a weakening of like the repression of it. Yeah. Also, to induce cultural Marxist fantasies through cartoon pornography. <laughs> oh, God. Well, no, obviously a... that's that that change right there that's that's a that's a domino effect that undermines gender undermines patriarchy and there there it is it just breaks the incest taboo and then full communism just p- pops out of the sky you know Marcuse is going to be so happy all right we're cutting this too all right uh, <laughs> moving forward uh or do we have more to say on that I mean, like... It's not about hentai. No, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, like, you can say, like, this sort of thing is, like, coming out of, like, a breakdown of, like, social norms that have been a while, f- around for a while now, uh, that have been made possible, like, the development of the internet and that sort of thing, and along with, like, weakening of, like, family structures in the United States. Like, the strength of the nuclear family has, like, been, like, torn apart through like economic through like uh economic decline and things of that nature so yeah totally but i think that one of the issues with trans people one of the issues they face is fail you know they can't get access to the services they need because of all these loopholes and medical regulations and all this nonsense and so i think that if we if we looked at it as almost an economic problem as well and the fact that because we don't have a centrally planned economy, there's all these barriers forced on trans people. Because the right wing always points out, oh, look how many trans people are mentally ill. But it totally ignores, yeah, that's because society actively represses them. So it's Yeah, just, it's, kind of, yeah it's, it's kind of a so, chicken and egg thing, you know. You can't, yeah, but I think you can argue, I actually think you can make an argument for uh, central planning being better for trans people retransition, you know, transitioning. Yeah, I mean that that sound, that almost sounds like a right wing talking point. Like, see, they just want to have universal health care so that they can give trans yeah, people so, turn so, your kids into so trans. they can give puberty but blockers honestly, to every child. Yeah. There's a thing. There's a thing about like communists though, where I feel like we should make those super like radical points that kind of point to the future of sexual freedom and be on like the kind of vanguard of like you know. A, truly advocating for a society that's not built around repression yeah i mean like the rights of a child you know there's a there's a un declaration of the rights of a child and it's uh it's it's something to look at because when you think about what abolition of the family would really mean you know like you you have to like consider i don't know like consider these things very granularly sorry one idea for abolition of the family that uh me and a friend were talking about was um basically once you turn 12 if you're an abuse like you have the ability to basically join like a state-run like children's home if you want yeah i mean there's there's all there's all kinds of proposals that are like that you know of course in the russian revolution they tried to implement and then roll back um but also like i don't know in this proposal i guess more or less like if you just follow the common sense sort of bourgeois logic of, of rights and access to health care. And then if you take trans issues seriously as, you know, being like a you know, pretty fundamental issue, 
like and you know part if it's covered under regular health insurance and then you get universal health care you do have a situation where no one you know like everyone everyone can stop a puberty they don't want you know that that could that's attainable now the caveat here and anyone that's familiar with the british national health service is will be, understand this is that if you're centrally planned government or, or, or if your centrally planned like healthcare system doesn't accept you that well, or you know really makes you run through the ringer like a bunch of loopholes to go to get it, it is worse to be in a sort of socialisty like economy. Like I'm sorry, a socialisty like uh, med- medical establishment and instead of some weird you know techno libertarian one where some, some dude is flipping you estrogen and you pay it in bitcoin on the dark web you know what i mean like yeah yeah I mean, yeah you're totally still gonna have that saying. black market either way though right but my point is yeah there's gonna be a black but it shouldn't have to be that way but that's my kind of feeds in my point why it's so important that leftists can't turn towards social conservatism as a way to kind of just unite people for economic bread and butter demands and they don't understand you know, communism and, and they don't understand like how fundamental a transformation communism is well yeah they are this uh, communism is you know as mark said is the liberation of you know the liberation of the proletariat is the liberation of all of humanity despite gender or race which means that it means something much deeper than just nationalizing the economy and producing things that are good for people the liberation of any segment of the proletariat is is dependent on the liberation of all segments of the proletariat and that's exactly one of the things about the proletariat as a universal class and that's why i think that you know the left cannot embrace these kind of you know because there's there is this drive towards social conservatism in the left that i think is fed by resentment towards culturalist rad lib type politics and i think it's and you and i think it's important to resist like I think that that needs to be resisted to just as much as shitty like liberal politics. Well, it's it's a intra bubble reaction. You have to be in the most privileged sections of motherfucking America to get sick of all the progressive rich people that you're around all the time. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that isn't that point. the David Brooks thesis though? I don't know. Is it? He had, he had this article recently where he basically argued that the political polarization in the United States is just like different sectors of like the upper you class. You know what? Like if that's arguing. what he's arguing, oh, the rich white the rich white civil war. You know what? This is so so David Brooks is a guy and uh, uh, this is something that Grant and Joe and I have talked about is 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 a guy that was wrote was writing about anti-politics and political apathy as being, you know, the cancer of our times. And, and, and he's a New York Times columnist, right? Eventually, like, he, he dives into the data, looks at who's being polarized, and understands truly, in public, for the political class to read a New York Times op-ed, why people sit it out. And I, I think that this is a fundamentally important political point for all of us as scientific socialists, to grapple with in order to really take our project seriously and to break off from the existing emergent quote left that we live around and to really form a communist movement like this this is a fundamentally important point 
I'm glad David. I'm glad David Brooks came up because it's absurd that this guy recognized it. Yeah, but I think your argument about the NHS and those shows how you, we, we, the left cannot cuck out on fucking trans issues, you know, in order to basically get an NHS because if you do that, you're just going to be oppressing basically an entire segment of the population in, in a greater way. And my worry is that, I mean, I agree with the analysis that basically this culture war is basically two factions of rich white people squabbling over how, you know, they want to see the, you know, their culture to look like. And it's, it's honestly can be reducible a lot of it to that. Like, whether you're reading fucking, like, I don't know, uh, Ben Shapiro or if you're reading Tom Apeshi Coates, it's basically just elite squabbling over what America really means. But the thing is, this polarization is not reflected in actual society, but we want it. We want a polarization in actual society. We want a class polarization. Yeah, we want a different because, polarization. We want a different yeah, polarization. But the point is, is, but at the same time, in the end, like these, you know, the, the, the elite whites who at least believe that trans people should have a right to exist and believe that, you know, there is you know racism is bad there is in a sense that if you're going to be a communist and say things like that you're going to be associated with those people and that's a problem that i don't know how to deal no with. of course of because course but the left we can't just not talk about those things because liberals do the left today is fundamentally negative it's it's knee-jerk like negative in, in an important way and the really interesting hegelian insight is that a quote negation of negation transcends one like you know pole of opposites and breaks through break ruptures the paradigm and then we can enter a different polarity a different pair of opposites what we need to get out of is this left right you know bourgeois political divide rupture it and have a fucking class struggle that's what we need we can't rely on their categories there if we ever have an electoral that's... political strategy we're, what we need is the third position. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, 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 I hear, I hear you. I hear you. Like, I don't. No, no. We don't need the third position. Like, I, I, no, no, no. I, I know. I know this. Is, I know it sounds. It's. It is. I'm. I have to acknowledge that this is in logical form. Yeah, it, it, that does sound like a third position. You don't need to entertain right. this, Lexi. There was not a charitable reading of what no, you no, said. No, no, no. But you know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I have to. I have to say that that's true. That this is the same form of argument that Dugan makes. This is the same form of argument uh, that fascists can co-opt in order to be like, yeah, so we all need to break bread together. And as communists, we have to be smarter than that. But but I I, I can right, I yeah, can like accept the, the that there is a common core between these arguments. I wanna I wanna push back. I, w I just wanna push back somewhat. Like I think I've had this conversation with you, Lexi, in private. But like. The way that this sort of like pseudo populist framing can always just it, it leads to some bad conclusions if you don't if the wrong people get the hands on it. Like, isn't Michael Brooks like a social democrat, like a basic social democrat? David Brooks is worse than that. He's really yeah. your kind of classic New York Times liberal. Okay. Yeah, we're not talking about okay. Michael. If I was saying Michael Brooks, I apologize. This is David uh, Brooks. Oh, it's David Brooks. Okay, so... He's what, an ex-social democrat, not like a centrist fucker. Yeah, what... This 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 sort of thing can easily be turned 
like just on the table because there isn't actually that much of a base for trans rights right now there isn't much of like we need people who actually want to push things like further to the left at this point and get get them the rights uh get them the things that we need like health medicare uh healthcare and that sort of thing like that's what we need right now and what the majority of people are they're either completely hostile to it or they think it's already adequate now and you know with the people who think it's adequate now if you start pushing to the left they're going to go more to the right because it will be framed in the same sort of oh this is the social justice warriors kind of way and I think the problem with, you know, there's a flawed conclusion you could come to from that David Brooks column that, yes, there is a kind of factional culturalist battle between two factions of the bourgeoisie over social liberalism versus social conservatism, basically. But the problem is, is that your reaction to this could be, let's just simply abandon all social liberalism. Let's abandon talking about civil rights. Let's abandon talking about gender and trans rights. Let's abandon talking about immigration. Let's just focus on bread and butter economic issues. And that is how the, that is how the majority of the left is actually, the actually existing left is responding to that. You know, that's, that's their actual, that has been their response. I can accept that that is the predominant trend, but again, we can do it better. We can say that Un, you know, in, in many ways, this happens all the time. Okay, the liberals seem, they say that they have your interests at heart. When you see the way that they govern, you know, you can, you know, like, like, okay, you might get some fundamental bourgeois protections and there's no sneezing at that. Once those are in place, however, you have pretty visible class divides in every kind of identity politics you can imagine, right? Like, right there, that's, that's where we come in. <laughs> yeah exactly that's what i'm saying we have to engage in the class divides that exist within the democratic movements for these rights even if you know they don't exist or to our ideals and i'm, I'm and not that, just talking about and, people that are in like involved in you know quote identitarian movements but just like you know people in the general population as well it's my point is that like i think we need to i honestly i don't know i'll go on record in saying this and i think like if the problem, what we need to do is we need to propose an alternative model of politics that can account for all forms of oppression that affect people, but also, you know, maintain a Marxist class analysis and develop a class divide. Right. This is where I think your points about vision so, come in, Donald. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the thing is that if you don't develop something that can be an alternative to the, you know, the liberal social social liberalism if you can't develop a marxist alternative to it then the problem is is that resentment towards the social liberalism is just going to go into a right-wing direction because they do have a concrete alternative as flawed and useless as it actually is this is where the you know tight butthole stalinism loses to like chill commie libertarianism and in gender situations like you you can say look we're we're going to be taking care of everybody who gives a shit about that like that's a possible politic it's not the first politic that's going to come to mind for everybody <laughs> when faced with these political conclusions but that's why it's important to have vision and to be able to produce something novel that can aesthetically plug in 
to the grim, dark fucking world we live in. Well, you know what Panacook said? He said that half, you know, like half of communism is convincing workers to become communists. Sure. Like, and I think I think that's completely legitimate. And so we need to develop an alternative to the perspective. We need to develop because there is, you know, general there is actual oppression that a lot of SJWs and types are yes, there responding is. to. Yeah, that that's that's why that they have a niche at all. We have to take, you know, we have to develop an alternative framework through which they can, you know, fight against those oppressions rather than the individualistic, subpolitical, liberal, you know, Tumblr stuff. And so I honestly I have more point in like winning over those people than I do, like, you know, a lot of the, the MAGA people who are just resentful towards political... Elites. No, no, of course. And and I would say that it's not, a, it's not you know, capitalist class struggle that can really speak to all of these issues in a comprehensive way. I do think historical materialism is the framework that you can do this with. I think, like, I, you know, issues of race, of gender, of ability, are all and the, and the environment, and, you know, throw that in there. It's, it's, it's all already built into that, in addition to the, you know, class struggle having this, like, motor of history thing. And I think people object to the idea of, of a motor of history being, you know, something. But if you make it, just trying to be scientific about it, it's not about what's, what's eth, you know, what's more important ethically. Like the, well, one interpretation I had of intersectionality almost was that it's almost like a liberal co-option of the communist critique of oppression and there's actually a lot of interesting scholarship that kind of points to this where it shows how you know black communists in the united states were theorizing how you know racism and gender oppression and class oppression quote unquote intersected using historical materialist analysis in the 1950s you know so i feel like a lot of this a lot of this you know modern identity politics is really just a vulgarized liberalized version of it's, it's a way of co-opting, like, past yeah. Marxist critiques of oppression. This is uh, Asad Haider's piece, uh, thesis in uh, Identity Crisis. And it's yeah, it's the a- it's true. the aspect of Viewpoint magazine that I've always admired. That, you know, in addition to their fun, weird, structuralist art project where they're trying to weave, you know, a bunch of post-structuralist stuff back into structuralism. I mean, you know, have fun with that. It, what, what, <laughs> what part of that that's cool is that they want to get all the cool postmodern gender stuff back into Marxism. You know, like, read read that stuff back in. Take all the cool, like, post-colonial stuff that comes out of that. Like, the, the good stuff, anyway. And, and, and plug it back into Marxism. Like, I think that's worth doing, even if you think structuralism is a crock of frog brain rot. 